Welcome to the Downhouse podcast, where we'll discover more about Downhouse School. Whether you're new to our community or an old friend, we'll be delving deeper, sharing stories and finding out what it really means to be a pupil at Downhouse. In our podcasts, we'll explore the Downhouse DNA with different members of the community. For our third episode, we look at resilience and our host, Simon Jones speaks to Katie Quarterman, our Assistant Director of Sport, on the importance of setbacks in the pursuit of excellence. Katie, thank you for being here. Welcome to the Downhouse podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very good today, Simon. Thank you. So we're recording this on a Friday. The weekend is looming. How do weekends usually look for you? How do you usually spend your time? Well, Saturdays is a work day for us here at Down. So um, usually we have fixtures. And I obviously like to keep active on Sundays, get out and about, go for a walk or a run. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm training for the marathon at the moment, so lots of running on Sundays. Awesome. Excellent. I've been really looking forward to this episode today because we're talking about resilience. And it's one of those subjects that you often hear people talking about because we know that it's not about so much what happens to us in life. It's about how we stand up and respond to that. So I'm really keen to unpack this with you. But before we do that, just so that people can find out a little bit more about you, can you just tell us in a snapshot sort of who you are and what you do at the school? Yeah, so um, I am one of the assistant directors of sports at Downhouse. Um, I started about six years ago. I head up the sports scholarship program and I teach a full timetable across a wide range of sports. I'm a tutor um, to six girls within one of the mixed age boarding house. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, cut, sort of cover all bases really, but my my main love um, and what I spend a lot of my time doing is is fostering that sports scholarship programme and, and developing those girls on there. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to come on to that uh, a little bit later, uh, but how, how long have you been at the school for? Six years now. This is my sixth year, which um, it, it, everyone says it goes quickly, but <laughs> it really, really does fly by. Um, <laughs> I don't feel old enough to have worked somewhere for six years, (laughs) but maybe that's me being quite naive. (laughs) Now, some of us have had episodes in our lives where we've had to be resilient in different situations, either to a greater or lesser extent. In what ways have you faced life challenges? Well, it's a tricky one because I think um, when you reflect on your own life, you perhaps don't don't realise those challenges that you've overcome. But... um, Growing up, obviously, I love my sport. I was really into squash um, and played all around the world, actually, in the, in the junior circuit. Um, and I think in that moment, you face a lot of challenges, um, but you don't always necessarily realise that at the time. And actually, mm-hmm. as I've got older, I've, I've come to reflect more and more on those years and actually how much I did overcome at quite a young at young age. Um mm. And obviously everyone has personal challenges um, as well. Uh, so I do think that it's one of those things that's funny. You you never really realise it at the time whenever you're facing these challenges. Hmm. So um, I decided to go to university after I uh, initially didn't want to go. I wanted to go and be a professional squash player. Um, mm-hmm. But dad was quite persuasive saying I needed a backup plan. Um, <laughs> and in the back of my mind, I did think one day maybe I wanted to be a teacher, you know, very, very far into the distance. And so obviously I needed a, deg- a degree to go into teaching. Um, so I was really lucky to go on, uh, get a sports scholarship at the University of Birmingham. So I was actually able to carry on training quite a lot um maybe it's the neglect to some of my academic studies um 
but I yeah I fought really really hard to get onto that scholarship program and I was still very adamant I wanted to be a professional squash player and play full-time on the circuit and um, as I was training to enter my last year at university I was on the last day and the last session of a grueling three-week pre-season training and um, I lunged in for a ball and my foot slipped and hit the wall which meant my knee had nowhere to go and it snapped down to the floor and in that moment I snapped my ACL I actually have it on video which isn't always a fun thing to watch back but um yeah so my ACL was ruptured um, which meant I would be out for about a year at that moment in terms of full rehab getting back to where I, I potentially was the level I was playing at um And yeah, that year, I guess, was one of those times where I had to be the most resilient I've ever had to be. Um, I cried when I got the diagnosis. Um, Mm. My physio delivered it to me and sort of said, this is this is what's happened. Um, But it taught me so much, you know, from going to literally walking, learning to walk and run again. Um, to building that up to being able to play squash at, at that sort of level um, the amount of hours and dedication that that takes I think it's all those secret hours that no one ever sees at six o'clock in the morning when you're doing an SNC or you're in the pool doing that sort of recovery so yeah that that process in that year um, I worked really really hard at and actually what was more difficult was when I came back after that year I just didn't love it as much. Okay. Which is actually quite a difficult thing to admit as a as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old young woman who her whole life has been playing squash. And I used to take my racket on holiday with me. <laughs> I used to make sure that there was a court wherever we were going. Uh, we were on family holiday to Egypt and I'd be tracking down a squash court so that I could train. And it was all I'd ever known for so long. And I fought so hard to come back. And I got back and I was like, oh, you know, it's nice and I really like it, but actually do is this now what I want to do professionally and full time? And and it took me a really long time to, to come to terms with that decision to suddenly not love something that you thought you were always going to love. So what did you do then to overcome these feelings in these dark times? How did you move yourself into brighter times? Um, well, actually, the day after I found out that I had uh, ruptured my ACL was the day I, I met my now fiance. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were next to each other at the sports fair um, and I was on crutches and he came over and he said, how's the knee? And I remember thinking, how do you think it is? Like, who are you? Who is this person talking <laughs> to me? It's obviously not very good. Mm. But yeah, he was very good at supporting me through that rehab process. And then also um, when I decided that I didn't want to leave university and head onto the circuit full time, that I that I did want to pursue teaching. And he actually was a badminton player and left university and pursued full time a badminton career. Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be difficult for me to watch someone doing it. But I guess in that moment, I was quite content with my decision. I think it's more now when I look back, I think, oh, what could have been or you forget those feelings at the time that you that you weren't happy at the time and that you did want to move forward and that perhaps that chapter of your life life was over but and I always joked I said um oh when I'm older I will play because when you get to a certain age age groups come back so you know Mm -hmm. over 35 is over 40 and I'm not far away from being back in those age groups and I remember (laughs) it at 21 I remember thinking 
oh yeah, I'll just play age groups again when I get there, you know, I'll love squash again then. And now I'm thinking, oh gosh, here I am. <laughs> so you never know. I think I may be in a better situation now. I've given myself those years to sort of not play and and not be bothered about it. And now sort of that love is coming back a little bit. And I do think it could be something that I pick up again and mm. it wouldn't be forced and I wouldn't ever resent the sport. Yeah, I actually don't really remember how I overcome it, but I think massively the support of friends and family will always get you through through most adversities that you face in life. Mm. Katie, thank you for sharing that with us. It's it, it, Clearly, it's a personal story and I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, but some people might go through life sort of avoiding situations like that when, you know, avoiding situations where they may need to be resilient. But yeah. of course, that essentially means avoiding the risk of failing. How do you view the fear of failure either in your own life or in the lives of girls at the school? That's such a good question, Simon. It's something that I am really passionate about and that everyone fails in life. Whether it's a big failure or a small failure, it's impossible to go through life and never fail at anything. And if you have, then perhaps you've never really challenged yourself. And I do think with failure comes change and it Mm -hmm. moves you forward and progresses you. And I think the first thing is acknowledging that you do have that fear of failure and and it's not a bad thing. Like no one likes to fail. (laughs) You know, it's not, we're not trying to say enjoy your failures, but I do think a, a really key message is acknowledging that fear and what can we do? Why are we feeling that way? I always remember when I was playing squash, I, I was the most nervous in the first round of a tournament because you're meant to win. You, you know, once you're in it, you know, if you get to a semi-final or a final and you lose, oh, you know, you did quite well. But that first round, I never, never wanted to lose. I remember my racket would be shaking. And I'd always lose the first point. I don't know why, I just always would lose the first point. And it's definitely a skill I've had to learn to, to accept that I don't like failing and or failure and how I can sort of acknowledge those feelings and how I can identify the cause and then I think that's a big key in our toolbox of moving forward and helping performance and the girls at school especially within my scholars is something that I like to focus on and making sure that they learn from those failures there's nothing wrong with failing but if you just bury it and pretend it never happened and move on without really thinking about it then it's going to happen again and you can you can eventually be something called learned helplessness where there's just you don't think anything's ever going to go right I'm rubbish at sport I'm never going to do this you know those sorts of thoughts and feelings and that's what we want to avoid it doesn't matter if something goes wrong but how do you move forward from it so how do you see fear of failing change then in girls at school as they get older and if there is a change there what approach might the staff take in order to address that I think the girls at school become very, very close over their time here and they become each other's support network and they identify. um, I have two girls that are very, very close and when they play squash, if they get upset, the other one is really, really good at taking her aside and saying, look, you did this really well. You were working on X, Y or Z and you managed to do that. When they're educated about identifying those fears they can help each other and sharing with your friends I really don't like it when this happens or I'm really apprehensive about an upcoming exam or whatever it is they can really help each other through and I think it's that educating them about it so making it just a topic that's not taboo if no one ever talks about it no one ever realizes that everyone has had failures in their lifetime so I do think just having an open discussion about it is one of those key key things to get the girls 
championing themselves and yeah, moving forward. I think everyone needs one of those friends in life, don't we? A cheerleader at the side to, someone yeah, to help us. <laughs> now, you mentioned at the start of this your sports scholarship programme. Tell me a little bit more about that. So we have sports scholars from all years, from removed to upper sixth. Um, we have about 34 girls currently on our programme. And it's more than just a, a title. I really don't ever want it to be seen that way. I really want the girls to engage with those things that we have on offer. So not just training. I th- training is a really, really important aspect of performance. But in order to become a se- successful athlete, you need to understand all those other elements that feed into your life and your performance. So the obvious ones would be those nutritional aspects, the rehab and the prehab, the injury, Sports psychology is a massive area of interest to me. I teach that section within our A-level at school. And it's amazing when the girls learn more about how the brain works, they suddenly think, oh, oh my goodness, that's what I think, that's what I feel, that's what I do in these situations. And it's arming them with all these tools to make them uh, and a better performer. And I think that is our key sort of focus for the sports scholarship program is making sure that each girl has the best possible opportunity to reach her individual aims not aims that we've given her or her parents have given her what does she want to achieve and how are we going to support her and build her up and get her to that level what do you think olive willis founder of the school from over 100 years ago what would she say about what the school is doing today in things like this i think she would be exceptionally happy how much we sort of champion girls and females in sport how much we give the girls a voice and empower them to be individuals I think across all aspects of school life we say be a downhouse girl and that doesn't mean it's one prescriptive thing every girl at school is completely different every person deserves an individual approach and that's something that we really focus on in sport and and beyond sport across all areas of school life Um, not one way of doing something isn't going to work for another way uh, another girl so I think she would be really pleased with with how much we are fostering that still today and for girls that currently aren't involved in a sports scholarship program if they wanted to get involved how could they go about doing that yeah so we identify girls as well that perhaps aren't on the sports scholarship program but we understand that they have a, a, a love of sport or an interest um, we get guests in quite regularly and we have lectures and talks and we will open those up to any girl that wants to attend. Um, We actually had the army in and opened it up to any girl that might be interested in joining the army in the future. And it was so interesting to see which girls were keen to attend and um, that the army was a career that's considered for more girls at school than than I thought. I initially didn't think that we would have that much of an uptake, but it was really, really popular and they wanted to learn more and know more. So I do think it's just opening those opportunities up as and when we can to those girls that are interested and to understand that sport isn't always about the player. I think sport is a massive industry. You can be involved in sport and not be the performer. You can be the physio, you could be a coach, you could be work in um, marketing, you could work as a journalist a commentator, a sports analyst, and I think it's giving the girls the opportunity to understand that these jobs and careers are out there. Now, Katie, we know that both women and men, of course, have needed resilience over the years, but I'd like to talk more, a little bit more about women in sport because here we are in 2021, and in many ways life has really come on since those days of Catherine Switzer in the uh, Boston Marathon in the 60s and all of the opposition, of course, that she faced. But 
In what ways do you see that we've successfully come on in recent years? Yeah, so I think definitely awareness. I think more and more people are waking up to what's out there and just having a topic, a conversation about these things with daughters, with sons, um, definitely highlights those issues. And in what areas do you think we've still got a lot of work to do? That's a very good question. (laughs) Um, We might need a whole new podcast to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) I do think that women's sport has had a setback sort of over the last year or so. Obviously, people haven't been able to play as much. And I do think that elite side of sport, female uh, women's sport, has been neglected. And therefore, we sort of see history repeating itself in terms of back in the 20s when the FA banned women's football for about 50 years and it's taken nearly 100 years to to beat a capacity record um, back in 1924 I think it was don't quote me on that though um, and it was only that attendance of women's football match was only recently um, surpassed so I do think the long-term impacts of the past sort of year or so in terms of not being able to access that elite level sport it, it could have sort of more impact going forward than we perhaps realize right now I do think we've got more champions out there Andy Murray is fantastic at highlighting inequalities Mm. within the press I think there's a few examples of him correcting reporters when they are quoting um, you know the great sort of I think they said first person he was the first person to win two Olympic tennis goals and I think he quickly corrected them and said well Venus and Serena have won about four each Um, and other examples like that um, someone said about there was a first US player and he said first male US player and I think those small corrections that sort of everyday stereotypes and sexism that we see within sport need to be Um, sort of highlighted by everyone and not in an attacking way I think it's just suddenly that reporter will think oh yeah it is male Um, and that was an error on their part and I think everyone can be a champion for those small everyday sexisms you know we've all heard throw like a girl (laughs) I mean what does that mean and I think it's questioning those things that are just part of everyday life and it's nice to see more women being represented um, across all different sports in commentary in the media in the press um, and yeah, I would just want to focus on the, the athletes themselves. There's a really good YouTube clip where male athletes were asked questions that female athletes had been asked in an interview. And I think one of them was said, oh, give me a twirl and tell me about your outfit. And when he asked the male athlete, he was sort of like, what? <laughs> Why would I give you a twirl and tell you, tell you about my outfit? And then it cuts to the clip of, this, of a woman being asked this just as she's won... Um, a Grand Slam tennis tournament so Mm. I do think it's those sorts of things that can make a huge difference going forward but we have recently had um, a talk with our scholars and other girls that wanted to be involved about gender stereotypes and what was really promising was that actually our younger girls at school were very much aware of these issues Uh, maybe on reflection that's kind of sad that they're young and they're aware of it but I do think going forward it's good to have these younger girls sort of challenging these stereotypes I think one gave an example about how she wanted to play cricket at her prep school and all the boys play cricket at lunchtime and she wasn't allowed to join in with the boys and she went Mm -hmm. over with a friend and then eventually they sort of said well why can't we play cricket and the boys were like oh I don't know. Yeah, join in. And it's sort of those little everyday mini battles that will eventually Mm. amount to, to huge change. 
Of course, some of the people listening to this uh, episode right now will be parents of girls at Downhouse. What can they do to be that small change that contributes to the bigger picture? I think sort of as I've said just making it part of the everyday discussion I don't think any parent I mean I'm not a parent so I can't talk would ever want their daughters to be disadvantaged based on their gender and I think it's just having those issues you know if you are watching a sports program and it's an all-male panel for example maybe just questioning that or having that discussion over dinner Lots of my friends and family will tell you I like having these discussions over dinner. Um, and and I have men in my life that are just not aware of it. I think that's a massive thing where I, I really like to make sure that I'm highlighting these issues and just educating them. Because if they haven't had to face these issues, it's something that they don't really think about. Why would they really know? And I think, yeah, parents just need to make sure that they're having these open topics of conversation, watching both men's and women's sport on TV at the weekend. Um, mm. I, I know a lot of our families like to sit around and, and watch the Formula One or um, watch football. And I think it's just making sure that we see those idols on TV, that we know who those female sports stars are or those female commentators, and that it's not always, oh, she's good for a woman or, um, oh, women's sport is so much more boring. It's trying to highlight those issues of where women's sport is more exciting because there's more goals in football, for example. Why? Mm. Why? I never understand why people say scoring more goals is a is a bad thing when they compare men's and women's football. I kind of think, yeah, lovely. How boring is it to watch a nil-nil game? I'd rather watch a game where there's more goals. And I think that that's something maybe I took for granted growing up because my parents were really good at making sure that was out there. So sometimes it's being aware of those wider issues outside of school and your current environment and situation. Katie, thank you for that. You mentioned at the start of this episode about some of the things that you do at the weekend. I'd love to find out a little bit more about you. And I'm going to ask you a few quick fire questions <laughs> here. So don't don't think too much about these. But I'm going to ask these along the theme of superpowers. Okay. So would you rather be able to run at lightning speed or fly? Fly. Flying would be great, wouldn't it? I I, I think flying has got to be a, a common answer. I would like to run and win an Olympic gold medal. That would be quite good. If only there was an Olympics <laughs> for flying. <laughs> okay, next one. Would you rather be invisible or be able to teleport anywhere? Invisible. Invisible. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe I'm really nosy. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I, th I thought you'd say teleport anywhere. Well, if I can fly, then I can sort of get anywhere that's a good point am i, am I right, okay. accumulating these powers or are they separate <laughs> we can make these rules up as we go this, this is fine yeah okay next one telepathy or all speak to be able to speak any language all speak all speak interesting what would be your first language you'd speak there then spanish <laughs> i don't know why i picked it but i wish i'd tried at school in languages okay here's the last one this is probably the hardest one super strength or high IQ? High IQ. Okay, interesting. Why is that then? I, I, I just think the brain is so powerful that high IQ can trump so many things. Interesting. I know it's a deep question, that. <laughs> it's a deep question and it's a hard yeah. one as well because really there's, there's no right answer. Yeah, and it's best just, like you say, don't think about it because now I'm thinking, oh, maybe I would like super strength. I could save so many <laughs> lives. <laughs> but then I could save so many lives by having a very high iq you know arguably more i wonder indeed. indeed katie we need to bring this to a close in a minute but for anyone who's heard anything and might have a follow-up question about anything that you've said how should they get in touch 
If you have any questions to do with Sport at Down House, feel free um, to email me. My email address is quartermank, so Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-M-A-N-K at downhouse.net. Um, or you, equally, you could get in touch with our admissions team and they will point you in the right direction as well. And feel free to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We've got um, sports handles on there, so at dhsport1 on Twitter and at down underscore house underscore sports on Instagram. And we would love for you to join us on those platforms. Awesome. That's great. Well, look, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been great talking to you. I really enjoyed hearing about resilience, especially from a sporting point of view. That's been fantastic. Thank you so much, Simon. So that was Resilience with Katie Quarterman. So good to hear her story. So thank you for that, Katie. As she said, you can contact her directly by emailing quartermank at downhouse.net. And also there are the Downhouse Sports accounts on social, which are dhsport1 on Twitter and at down underscore house underscore sport on Instagram. So go follow those and keep yourself up to date with everything that's happening. Now, in our next episode, we're looking at another characteristic from the Downhouse DNA, and that is creativity. And that's going to be so good. So don't forget to follow and subscribe if you haven't done so already. But in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.